you so much for storytellers. Thank you for uh, the truth of the stories that, that you've given us through Scripture and how you've inspired storytellers to come from all different directions, that your truth is contained in so many different places if we will just trust you and your spirit and the discernment that you've given us to find it and to be inspired by it. So I pray that you would do all that uh, through us today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, um, stick with me now as I run down a list of Disney and Pixar characters. And I want you to think about what all of them have in common. And we're going to start way back with the release of a movie in February of 1950 and the character Cinderella. But uh, there's also Belle, Ariel, Mulan, Jasmine, Pocahontas, Merida, Eyelash, Rapunzel, and now, lest you think that their common bond is gender or royalty of some kind, I'm also going to include Woody, Buzz Lightyear, Sully, Flick, Remy, Pinocchio, the entire Incredibles family, and everyone's favorite from 2013, Elsa, oh my goodness, right? But just about one year ago today, Moana. Now, what do they all share? Okay, well, they're all animated. That's true, but that's not what I'm thinking about. Uh, they're all fictional. No, Pocahontas was a real historical figure, born 1596, died 1617. She's real. No, these are all characters who are confused about who they truly are. They have been repressed or persecuted, but through a crisis, they discover that their true identity is really theirs to choose. It was right inside them all along. It is their destiny, their right, their only hope of happiness, and it is only as far away as just believing. Now, usually the crisis that they encounter has its origins in their communities, their family or their other social context, which is judgmental, it's repressive, authoritarian, backwards, or otherwise confining. These are all stories about throwing off the unjust and inaccurate identity that has been forced upon them and finding the joy and freedom of self-expression. Over and over again, these movies, which have deeply influenced three generations of Americans and are beginning to shape a fourth, drive home the same message. And here it is. Believe in yourself no matter what anyone else says. Those around you cannot be trusted to see you clearly. There are exceptions for grandmas, dead relatives, really cute guys, talking household items, trees or animals, and any character voiced by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> the truth of who you are lies completely inside you. Tradition and social expectations are hostile to self-expression, and self-expression is of the highest importance. Believing in yourself enough will result in success. If you want something badly enough, it must be right. And you choose your own identity. Now, is it just me, or are these the main themes of pretty much every Disney and Pixar movie? Now, I guess at this point, I should just pop the bubble of tension I've created here and surprise you all by saying, I think these lessons are neither helpful or true. Maybe you guessed that. 
Now, if they had just occurred in one movie or even just ten, I might believe there's no overarching message to be gleaned here. Maybe it's just an overstatement of an otherwise solid idea or a mild twist on a godly principle. But with literally no effort on my part as a 53-year-old old white guy, I listed off 17 animated movies that I know of personally from only two movie studios. And I didn't bother to list the live-action shows, the television shows, comics, video games, and children's books, which all carry the same message. In other words, I'm not just overreacting to a couple of poorly managed parables in a few little kids' movies here. I am rolling out the blueprints used by cultural architects to construct the values we will all live with for the next 100 years. Now, before we go any further, let me say that I am not going to spend the next 25 minutes explaining why Disney movies are bad and you should never let your kids watch them. You know, the subject of this series came up at a Christmas party a couple of weeks ago, and there were some AC3ers who have kids that are right in the Disney age bullseye, right? And I started kind of giving them a preview of this talk, and you would have thought that I was strangling a kitten right in front of them. (laughs) But look, getting you to boycott kids' movies is not my goal. In fact, I hope to show you how Moana gets it right. No, here's here's my goal in this talk today. That everyone walks out of here understanding where our identities truly come from. And secondarily, that parents commit to curating the lessons that culture is teaching their kids about personal identity. Don't just let your kids soak up what Hollywood is feeding them. Watch these great movies together, but then have a discussion and help your kids process what they've seen and heard. Okay? All right, let's talk about Moana now. The, the clip that you saw earlier contains two of our seven messages that I've pointed out. Those are, those around you cannot be trusted to see you clearly. Tradition and social expectations are hostile to self-expression. Well, maybe there's something in this. Moana's father is the chief. He's the highest authority in her world, and he is imposing his vision for her life, which doesn't line up with what she's feeling, what she's experiencing. He wants her to take her place in the village, to stay inside the reef, create stability and safety for the people. This identity directly opposes Moana's ideas, which have to do with adventure, discovery, and getting out beyond the reef. Now, I promised you I wouldn't be destroying Moana or other Disney movies. So let's begin by saying they're getting at something here that I think is important. Moana's Moana's father has a vision for his community and his daughter based on one thing, fear. Yes, we see in the opening song that they live in paradise, that they are happy, content, and safe people. But because all of these conditions flow from fear, these conditions are also fundamentally corrupted. Now, there are countless bad outcomes from a fear-based vision, but I want to focus on one in particular, and it leaves no room for God's agents of change. That's it. One of the worst outcomes from a fear-based vision is it leaves no room for God's agent of change. Anyone with a mission of change who arrives in a fear-based culture is going to be seen, at best, as a deviant who must be controlled or healed, a heretic or a nuisance to be tolerated, and at worst, as a threat that must be neutralized. 
fear shuts out the truth messenger. In John chapter 11, we see how Jesus' identity created turmoil when it met a fear-based culture. Here in, in uh, beginning at verse 45 of chapter 11, he has just raised Mary's brother Lazarus from the dead. And we read, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. It's the ruling council. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, what has to be going on inside a group of people who, when they encounter someone who raises someone from the dead, their first and best plan is, let's kill him? <laughs> what, what is going on in there? Well, it might be tempting to say ignorance, superstition, or greed, but those grow right out of fear. Ignorance is fear of the unknown. Superstition is fear of losing control. Greed is just fear of losing your security. It's all fear-based. Now, Moana's father may not be as dense, superstitious, or greedy as those Pharisees, but he is no less afraid. And his fear drives him not to murder, but something that in a way is more cruel because it could last a lifetime. He denies his own daughter's God-given identity because he's afraid. Now, for some of us, it wasn't a parent's fear that denied us our true selves. It was our own fear. What will everyone think? What if I fail? What if I'm alone? But all come from fear. And you need to know this, people. God never never uses fear as a tool to shape identities. The Bible says God's perfect love drives out fear. 1 John chapter 4. You see, fear is a tool that Satan wields, and it will always lead to some sort of sinful, corrupted identity. Think about the, the, the stereotypical promiscuous woman who objectifies herself to gain the attention of men because she's afraid to be alone. Or the hyper-macho man who abuses and cheats on her because he fears that people will discover how weak he really is. The rebellious, defiant child who bullies other kids and can't sit still for a moment because he fears the chaos in his own home. Do you get it? Fear can never be a legitimate source of identity. So that begs the question, what is a legitimate source? Well, remember what the movie tells us. Believe in yourself no matter what anyone else says. The truth of who you are lies completely within you. Believing in yourself enough will result in success. If you want something badly enough, it must be right. And if you choose your identity. You notice a theme here. So at this point, we're confronted with an either-or, right? A binary choice. You're defined by the arbitrary, fear-based, bigoted, and ignorant ideas of those around you, or you choose your identity yourself. 
Well, let's see how this second choice works. There's more fish beyond the reef. There's more beyond the reef. Not so bad. Whatever just happened, blame it on the bake. Oh, Grandma. <clears throat> this is where the movie earns extra credit points from this grumpy movie critic. Because where other movies double down on the values you see here, Moana dashes them to pieces, like the fragile, false constructs that they are. You see, she does all the things we're told lead us to true identity. She seeks the truth internally. She follows her desires regardless of what the people who are smarter and more experienced say. She doesn't look beyond her own impulses. There's no indication of a higher power she looks to, and she's convinced that just because she wants it so badly, it will make up for her almost complete lack of skill. And she nearly dies. She really wanted to be an expert sailor, but she's not. She really believed in herself, but it made no difference to the waves. She looked inward and found an adventurer, but if she had paused to look outward for a minute, she would have found what her father and her grandmother and everyone else did, a self-involved teenager. Choosing your own way seems to be as problematic as the fear-based method. And once again, the Bible illustrates the truth of this. You may remember last month in our Sherlock series, Rick detailed how God used Israel to drive the Canaanites out of the land because of the wicked things they were doing. And you may also remember that Israel, despite God's warning, fell right into the same wicked practices within one generation. They became idol worshipers. I mean, they dropped the God who saved them from slavery like a hot potato in favor of false gods who demanded human sacrifice and all manner of violent worship. They engaged in all kinds of broken sexual behavior, cruelty, and greed. And the writers who recorded this sad period in the history of God's people favored one phrase to sum up everything I just did. And here it is. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. That's it. And I, I really want you to catch the nuance here. Does the Bible say, and each man did evil and despicably destructive things? <laughs> no, no. It's enough to say that each one did what they thought 
was right instead of what God had told them. And a whole culture collapsed because of it. They became convinced that they knew better. They believed their own conscience was the ultimate determiner of right and wrong. They went with their gut. They trusted their intuition. They didn't follow the crowd. They resisted authority. They listened to their hearts. They believed in themselves. No matter how their hearts were grieving, they were stubbornly believing the dream that they wish would come true. It's delightful. Moana articulates this theme again, like so many Disney princesses before her, with a truly beautiful song. But as you enjoy it this time, and it's okay to enjoy it, listen carefully to the words and hear the explicit struggle she feels between the identity of, that fear is offering her and doing what seems right in her own eyes. Staring at the edge of the water Long as I can remember Never really knowing why I wish I could be the perfect daughter But I come back to the water No matter how hard I try Every turn I take Every trail I track Every path I make Every road leads back to the place I know where I cannot go, where I long to be. See the line where the sky meets the sea. It calls me, and no one knows how far it goes. If the wind in my sail on the sea stays behind me, one day I'll know. If I go, there's just no telling how far I'll go I know everybody on this island seems so happy on this island everything is by design I know everybody on this island has a role on this island so maybe I can roll with mine I can lead with pride I can make us strong I'll be
acting weird? I'm the village crazy lady. That's my job. If there's something you want to tell me, just tell me. Is there something you want to tell me? Is there something you want to hear? You've been told all our people's stories, but one. What is this place? Do you really think our ancestors stayed within the reef? To the question you keep asking yourself. Who are you meant to be? Go inside, bang the drum, and find out.
You see, that's, that's storytelling. I mean, wow, that is inspiring, isn't it? Uh, I confess, even when Disney, Pixar values get jacked up, these movies still move me. But when they seize on a godly value and use their storytelling skills, I mean, I want to be a Polynesian explorer now. <laughs> I hope you can see what happened here. Moana follows her selfish impulses and nearly dies. In a way, she does die. At least the illusions of what she thought she was die. The next thing she does seeks wisdom. She looks up from the navel-gazing, self-justified dreaming, and she seeks answers beyond herself from a safe, trusted source. And then, this is the most amazing part, she discovers an identity that's wrapped up in a mission. Friends, I will consider my teaching today successful if you leave here with a firm grasp of this. Godly identity begins with death. It's uncovered by wisdom and expressed through mission. Godly identity begins with death, is uncovered by wisdom and expressed through mission. Let's talk about death. Yay! Now, it sounds depressing, but the only way new life begins or life is sustained is through death. It doesn't matter if you're an enthusiastic carnivore, a, you know, a weekend vegetarian, or a radical vegan. The only way you live is for something else to die. The food you take in every day was either recently alive or issues from life. Death is where life begins. Moana had to die to who she thought she was, and that death nourished the truth of who she really is. The old Buddhist wisdom which says you must empty out your cup in order to receive whatever is new really applies here. And the scriptures are replete with this. Abram dies to his life in Haran and at 70 years old moves his whole household to an unknown land receiving God's identity, a new name, Abraham, the father of nations. Genesis chapters 12 through 17. Read it. It's inspiring. Then his ancestor Jacob, the strong, wealthy con man, wrestles with God, becomes a cripple, and dies to an old way of life, becoming a humble peacemaker and receiving a new name, Israel, the name given to God's chosen people, Genesis chapter 32. And in your New Testament, Simon the fisherman left his nets, probably family members, and died to the only future he could ever imagine to follow a homeless prophet who claimed to be the Son of God. And he received a new name, Peter, the rock upon which the church would be built. Matthew 16, verse 16. AC3, many of us want to know who we truly are, but we are unwilling to let go of the identity that we've constructed for ourselves to make room for who God says we are. Our self-made identities have to die first. But parents, I'm talking to you now. The culture is telling you that you must protect your kids from anything that threatens that false self. The world is working against your child, making room for God's identity. You know, they must never feel the sting of guilt. 
They can't be held accountable for doing sinful things. They should never experience the exquisitely painful awareness that they have caused someone else pain. They must be protected from failure, from the breathtaking and freeing realization that they are not made for some things, which means they must be made for some other things. Well, friends, parents, do the loving thing and don't block your children access to the altar where they can lay down their false selves and take up their new names. Walk beside them. Show them the way. By all means, give them comfort and reassurance. Watch these movies with them and look for the moments when death to self occurs. Talk about it afterwards. Talk about the cross with them, how Jesus took up the fullness of death for them so that they could truly live. Don't abandon your children to simply live out a false identity constructed from the raw materials they get on some screen. Help them put that false self to death. As some of you may recall from our series back in January, How to Adult, that God has woven wisdom into the world. Answers to questions like, who am I really? And what should I be doing? Are available to us in places where wisdom lives. In His Word, the Bible. In the hearts and minds of older, more experienced disciples. And in the presence of God's Holy Spirit. But increasingly, looking to the Bible and trusting your godly community looks crazy compared to the world. The Bible predicted this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Bringing the question of who am I really to the Bible or to some experienced believers will look like talk, taking advice from the village crazy lady. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 says, For the wisdom of this age is foolishness with God. Parents, clinging to God's wisdom and helping your child find their godly identity might be harder than helping them die to the old one. The pressure to reject biblical authority is growing in intensity. You will endure ridicule and all kinds of hardships for drawing your child into God's word. Some of it may even come from inside the church. You will be seen as weak or naive for carrying out advice you receive from godly counsel. Your sanity will be doubted for following the prompts of the Holy Spirit. You will be seen as crazy because you limit your child's exposure to media, because you discipline them, because you hold them accountable for their choices. You tell them they're wrong when they're wrong and teach them self-discipline and humility. You will be called crazy. It's an example from the headlines this week. Pop musician Pink explains that her children are being raised in a, quote, gender-neutral environment where kids who are not old enough to play with matches are considered old enough to untangle their own sexuality and gender roles. Now, this increasingly sounds like wisdom in a darkening world. Now, listen carefully to me. I am not talking about denying little girls a short haircut or a BB gun if they want them. I'm not talking about shaming a little boy for crying or wanting to play house or play with a doll. I am talking about whether wisdom is allowing a six-year-old to develop a personal identity based on nothing but their own ideas and media input, or whether wisdom is guiding them with God's Word and the input of a trusted community who intimately knows that child. 
The sobering news is those who choose the latter will be more and more seen as the village crazy lady. Be ready for it. Be ready for it. All right, let's wrap it up today on a more positive note. Mission. Recall our three examples from the Old Testament. Abram, later named Abraham. Jacob, later named Israel. And uh, Simon changed his name to Peter. At the very center of each new godly identity was a mission. And too many of us, too many of us are afraid to submit to God's missional identity because we know it means work and risk and hardship and probably pain. And not surprisingly, you know, the mission-free identity that we created for ourselves was a lot more comfortable because, you know, we created it for ourselves. It's custom-made. But Moana discovers that when she let go of her selfish identity, the missional identity of a voyager was in fact resurrected. She wanted to leave the island and explore for purely selfish reasons, and that led to death. But after she submitted to wisdom, it's revealed that her island was facing great danger, and a voyager is needed to save the people. Guess what? I'm a voyager! Man, that is beautiful. God doesn't ask us to die to a self-constructed identity just because we like it. He asks us to die to it because it's too small. He's not punishing you. He's rescuing you. When we submit ourselves to God's identity, we usually find that there was something holy in it. There is something redeemable that God uses to fulfill His mission. And we experience a fulfilling which we could never have had otherwise. It begins with death. It's uncovered through wisdom and we find it in mission. Moana was not turned into a farmer or a housewife or something she hated. She was a voyager who had been redeemed for the benefit of her people, not just herself. Every single one of you in this room today has been given a an identity because you are needed to fulfill a mission. Every single one of you. Now, for some of you, you can't consider this identity because you're not sure this Christ is real or whether He cares. If ultimately your identity depends on a God you don't believe in, that's a non-starter. It makes no sense. And I wouldn't endorse it. And if that's you, let me just speak to you for a moment. You will never know if God can be trusted with your identity until you're ready to die to the old identity. You'll, you'll never know. Now, maybe you've tried to satisfy yourself by escaping beyond the reef once or twice. Materialism, sex, thrills, religious duty, whatever. And you've gotten slammed into the reef. What's blocking access to your real identity is your unwillingness to die to let go of the identity you've chosen. And listen, this is going to sound sarcastic. I mean it 100%. If you're wrong about Jesus, you can always go ahead and make up another identity later. But you can't hold God's identity and your own at the same time. Look, if it turns out you're wrong about the Jesus thing, you can just make up another one. Now, some of you have been what I would describe as stuck in a loveless marriage with God for years. Living in fear of leaving the island, but deep down knowing that you were made for more. 
you've compromised. Planted coconut groves, learned to fish inside the reef, and tolerate your existence. So now you're trapped. God's identity for you is a slightly below average, tolerable existence that you hope will not have too much suffering. Well, maybe it's time that you went to visit the village crazy lady. Maybe it's time to pay her a visit. For God is calling to you. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. What if you started taking that craziness seriously? What if all you ever wanted is still available to you, but to have it, you simply have to let it go? Oh, wrong movie. Sorry. But what if we were to take Jesus seriously? Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What if the crazy is true? What if the crazy... It's true. And for some of you, you feel like you've got a solid grip on your identity today, but that identity has no meaning outside of about a three-foot radius that surrounds you and your body. It has no impact on the world. It has no relevance beyond your own experience and maybe your immediate family. You go to church, you believe in Jesus, you pay your taxes, and as one friend of mine describes it on weekends, you sit and sing. Look, your first ministry is your family, I get it. But there's something implicit in the word first. And that is, there's more. If the beginning and end of your identity is contentment, peace, security, church attendance, you know, an FPU graduate who gives 10% to AC3, reads their Bible as a good husband or loving mother, then you are missing at least most of your God-given identity. If that's the end of your identity, you're missing at least most of it. Look, you're not bad. God still loves you, and so do I. Really, I do. But listen to me. The passion that burns inside you, it was put there for a reason. Whatever makes your heart beat faster was designed not just to thrill you, but to bring about change in the world. Your dreams are not meant for you alone. They are meant to be shared with a world that is in desperate need of hope and it grows and grows every single day, that need. So join a group. Get to know some people and and explore those dreams. Get your companions to pray with you. Some of you already know what you should be doing, or at least you have a really good idea. Well, there's a display out in that lobby that represents dozens of opportunities to get started on that. Watch for the Kazone class coming up in early 2018, and sign up to learn about how your dreams, how your gifts, and your circumstances can guide you to that God-given identity, guide you out beyond the reef into a breathtaking adventure. You know, it's estimated that around the year 450 A.D., Moana's adventurous people found their way 
to Hawaii. And they're the people that populated it. About 450 A.D. At the same time, two oceans away, another voyager named Brendan set out on a very different sea, the North Sea. He was also called, but by the Holy Spirit, to venture out, not knowing where, knowing only that he was called to share the gospel. Some historians believe that Brendan the Navigator, as he was later known, found his way to the New World 500 years before Leif Erikson and 1,000 years before Christopher Columbus. Did you know that? Simply because he answered the call to share the good news about Jesus with anyone he would find. Look, we don't know for sure if he made it to Newfoundland, but we do know what motivated him. Trust in God a knowledge of his own identity, and a deep sense of mission. So in closing today, with the beautiful fable of Moana in our hearts, with the story of Brendan in our minds, and the Holy Spirit filling our own spirits, let me pray for you the prayer of Brendan the Navigator. And so just adopt an attitude of prayer, whatever that means for you, if that's to Bow your head and close your eyes. If you'd like to stand for this blessing, you can. But just adopt an attitude of prayer and receiving this morning. Shall I abandon the comforts and benefits of my home, seeking the island of promise our fathers knew long ago? Sail on the face of the deep where no riches or fame or weapons protect you and nobody honors your name. Shall I take leave of my friends and my beautiful native land, tears in my eyes as my knees mark my final prayer in the sand? King of the mysteries, will you set watch over me? Christ of the mysteries, can I trust you on the sea? Christ of the heavens and Christ of the ravenous ocean wave, I will hold fast to my course through the dangers I must brave. King of the mysteries, angels will watch over me. Christ of the mysteries, when I trust you on the sea. Have I the courage to leave the familiar and journey into the unknown? To journey beyond the way I have prayed, the life I have lived, the sensible and the secure, to trust God to take me beyond these familiar shores. Christ of the mysteries, I can trust you on the sea. And may the Christ go with you now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thanks for being here with us, friends. We're going to continue on with this series next week.